Um, that I believe that the Lord has something for us this morning, and just in preparation, really agreeing with Greg, what Greg and felt this morning, just for a moment for us, um, for the Lord to be declaring something over us as a people. Um, and so as we seek Him out, um, I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Titus. We're going to read the whole book. It's very short, don't worry. We're not going through uh, Psalm 119 or anything. We're just going through Titus. Um, but it's really helpful to read the whole thing uh, in order for us just to understand uh, the portion that we will be focusing on, which is chapter 2. Um, but just a quick summary. Um, oh, wonderful. Look at you getting it to work. You're such a legend. Um, there's a table just before that, um, which kind of summarizes the different chapters of Titus. Uh, and so as you... As I read through Titus, just kind of have your eyes on the framework, which will appear in any second. Um, but essentially, Paul kicks off in verse 1 to 4, greeting uh, the people, or, or Titus at least, uh, talking to Titus who oversees the uh, church in Crete, the, the Cretans. Uh, he then tells Titus the purpose of why he left him there, which was to appoint elders uh, and to set up that church that uh, Paul had been a part of preaching the gospel. He now wants to bring order there, and part of that being uh, setting elders in place and then describing what an elder should look like. He then talks about the importance of healthy teaching of the word and of sound doctrine and that the elder is to guard against false teachings uh, as the chief part of his job and then coaches him kind of in how to deal with false teachings. Uh, he urges Titus to teach sound doctrine and then expound, expounds on what that looks like, uh, to teach sound doctrine, but to actually see it lived out in our lives. He then, in verse 11 to 15, talks about the hope that we have from the empowering grace that is, comes to us through Jesus, uh, because it's one thing to tell us to live like Jesus and to see our lives uh, shaped and formed like Jesus, but it's a whole other thing to actually be empowered to see that take place. For anyone who's ever tried to correct their own lives and try and live this good life, you'll realize it is a burden too heavy for us to bear. Uh, and so Paul just reminds Titus that actually we need the Holy Spirit if any of this is to take place. And then chapter 3, he wraps it up and encourages the Christians to maintain good works and Christian conduct by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then bases, the basis of that is our salvation, which we find in God and by His mercy. And then he gives them some final instructions of what outreach essentially will look like. And so that's a quick overview of what Titus uh, is trying to, or Paul's trying to get across to Titus. Uh, and so I'm going to read Titus for us. And... That's all it is, there and there, not too much. So let's hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that is in accordance with godliness, in the hope of eternal life that God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. In due time, he revealed his word through the proclamation with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my loyal child in the faith, we share grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. I left you behind in Crete for this reason, so that you should put in order what remained to be done and should appoint elders in every town as I directed you, someone who is blameless, married only once, whose children are believers, not accused of debauchery and not rebellious. For a bishop, as God's servant, must be blameless. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or addicted to wine or violence or greedy for gain, but he must be hospitable, a lover of goodness, prudent, upright, devout, and self-controlled. 
He must have a firm grasp of the word that is trustworthy in accordance with the teaching, so that he may be able both to preach with sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. There are also many rebellious people, idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for sordid gain what it is not right to teach. It was one of them, their very own prophet, who said, Cretans are always liars, vicious brutes, lazy gluttons. How nice is that? That testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may become sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths or to commandments of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their actions. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what is consistent with sound doctrine. Tell the older men to be temperate, serious, prudent, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, tell the older women to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers or slaves to drink. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, chaste, good managers of the household, kind, being submissive to their husbands, so that the word of God may not be discredited. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, gravity, and sound speech that cannot be censured. Then any opponent will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. Tell slaves to be submissive to their masters and to give satisfaction in every respect. They are not to talk back, not to pulfer, but to show complete and perfect fidelity, so that in everything they may be an adornment to the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. While we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He it is who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. Declare these things, exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one look down on you. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show every courtesy to everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is sure. I desire that you insist on these things so that those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to everyone. But avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. 
after a first and second admonition, have nothing more to do with anyone who causes divisions, since you know that such a person is perverted and sinful, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Make every effort to send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they lack nothing. And let people learn to devote themselves to good works in order to meet urgent needs, so that they may not be unproductive. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Wonderfully encouraging letter, right? What I'm encouraged by the fact is that even lawyers can be saved. I mean, that is just quite fantastic. I'm just joking. We have lawyers amongst us, and for them I am truly grateful. But what we're going to focus on here is chapter 2, but it's really helpful to have and understand the full scope uh, of what Paul is trying to say to Titus. And I want to just reaffirm what Shane was saying, that having our families and our children here is just a great blessing to us. Uh, This preach is going to just reaffirm uh, exactly what God is trying to do amongst us as a people. And yes, there's going to be moments where it's awkward. Yes, there's going to be moments when kids are loud. But the reality is that God intends for kids to be part of this family and for them to learn what it means to follow God with us and alongside us. We don't ship them off into some other institution that's supposed to show them God, and we carry on with our lives. Uh, What Paul's trying to fight for here with Titus is saying that the family is an incredibly potent part of the gospel message. And we can't separate family uh, as something else that we need to get on with the ministry of the Lord, and also you've got family to sort out. Actually, it is you cannot separate them. And much of what he's trying to fight against this false doctrine is to say family is actually at the center of our salvation. And it's massively, massively important. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 16, he says, They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their actions. And so we always have the danger of following Jesus and saying, you know, my salvation is really just about believing in Jesus. I don't have to do anything. That's not what Paul's saying to Titus, and it echoes, right, what James teaches. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, and we all love this, right? No, we don't. It's very difficult for us. What good is it if you say that you have faith, but you do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, brother, keep warm, eat your full, and yet you do not supply them with their bodily needs, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that God is one, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by his works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, 
So faith without works is also dead. What they're both contending for is that we can't say we have faith in Jesus, that we are believers, and yet our lives actually have no change and transformation, that we actually get on serving other people and loving people. And so I think we all understand that, but the emphasis that they're trying to make is that it's not by our works that we're saved, but that through being saved, our lives then begin to have all these works that bring life to people around us. And it's massively important for us to remember, because it's very easy for us as we live our lives to begin to settle in to this faith, because God just does it all, right? God's going to do it all, all glory to Him, so I'm just going to sit back and lift my feet up doesn't work like that. The more we have faith in God, the more it drives us and moves us to want to spend our lives for the service of others and for the service of those around us. And so they're fighting for this as a starting point. And so essentially he's saying the full message of Titus that he's trying to get across here is that the life of God's elect, which is us, ought to be one of persistent faith, growing faith in us, motivated by the blessed hope of eternal life, as we're waiting for the return of Christ, by effective leadership through teaching sound truth that informs our godly living amidst a complex and morally diverse society. That's what Paul's trying to say. We need the gospel preached to us that our lives might be transformed because this world is confusing, yes? It's morally divisive. We see what the world's doing. We're like, ooh, that's quite nice, but is it what the Lord says? And so the culture tries to dictate to us what life should look like. And we have to go, no, 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 this is what the Word says, this is what the Lord says, and help us to understand what the church should look like living within a culture that does not want anything to do with God. Don't know if you've noticed, but those outside of the church who do not believe in God do not want you to live a life in obedience to the Lord and in obedience to the Word. It's all craziness, right? Your ways are all archaic. They're all old. There's new ways to live, better ways to live. And we have to say, no, no, no. What was written 2,000 years ago for us still has value. These scriptures still want to help us to live lives that are pleasing to God. And so, chapter 2. But as for you, teach what is consistent with sound doctrine. Tell the older men, and I'm not going to say what age group that is, We'll just all work with whatever we feel. But tell the older men to be temperate, serious, prudent, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, tell the older woman, just be very careful as to the age group you use there, to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers or slaves to drink. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the younger woman to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, chaste or pure, good managers of the household, kind, being submissive to their husbands, so that the word of God may not be discredited. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, and many people would argue that the in all respects in the next verse actually belongs to that one. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled in all things. Show yourself a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, gravity, sound speech that cannot be censured, then any opponent will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety or ungodliness and worldly uh, passions in the present age, and to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. He's commanding these people to do all these things, but reminding them that without the grace of Christ, Good luck in seeing any of this actually take place in your lives. 
And so the first thing he starts off with to Titus in verse 1 is he says, teach what is consistent with sound doctrine. And so what he's saying is that the pastor's job or the elder's job or Titus's role is to teach the believers what Jesus taught, to teach the believers what the apostles taught through the scriptures and to teach diligently. And it's not just reserved for the elders, but the elders are supposed to be an example for others to follow, right? He talks about that later. And so for all of us as followers of Christ, we need to learn how to wield the word, the sword of the spirit, the word, to be able to teach people around us. What is Jesus actually trying to say? What are the apostles actually trying to say? And so for you, you might have thought, as I said, let's read the whole of Titus. You might be like, sort of remember what that is. It's not a complicated book. It really is not complicated. If we just take the time to sit down and process it before the Lord, each of us begin to grow in our ability to wield the sword of the Spirit. And God's call for us is if we are going to be a people who do not follow the ways of the culture but follow the ways of the Lord, we need to understand this. This has to be our primary go-to. And do you truly believe that what Paul taught to the guys 2,000 years ago still applies to us today? Because if you don't, that's going to impact the way that you actually live your life. It's going to impact the way that you actually attend to these scriptures. And so Paul's saying, never leave the scriptures. What you're trying to teach the Cretans in order for them to have their lives changed, stick with the scriptures and learn how to teach them and teach them soundly. Throughout the generations, and those who've walked with the Lord a lot longer than me, know that every other decade, some other teaching tries to make its way into the church, right? Tries to unsettle the scriptures. Do you Christians really believe that? Does that really hold true? And it's not just the culture. It's the devil trying to wheel his way into the church to cause division. And what does Paul say? Anyone who causes division, kick them out. Remember we spoke about the spiritual gifts that the Lord uses. What does he use it for The Unity of the church. Unity is hugely important to the Lord. And so when we do not teach the sound doctrines of the scriptures, division begins to come in. And so together as a body, we need to be united in the word, going, this is what we sense the Lord is saying to us. This is how we interpret this thing. It's not just for the one guy to go, this is what the scriptures say. I demand that you challenge me. In my understanding, as I spend time with the Lord and seek others around me for counsel for the word, and we present it to the body. The body needs to be like the Bereans. We take these truths home and go, hold on. What about this scripture? That doesn't quite tie up. And so as a body, we need to take what's being preached and for all of us to learn how to wield this word better. Can we commit ourselves to that? To growing in the word. And we're going to require the Holy Spirit for us to do that. Why do we compromise on the word? Why do we compromise? Generally, and especially in the Western Cape, because it disrupts our comfort, right? Life's just comfortable. You know this word? It demands stuff from me. You know, it's far easier just to sleep with my girlfriend. Like, really? This is very uncomfortable to actually read the scriptures and go, you know what? The way that the Lord has designed this is not outside of marriage. But it's comfortable and easy. And you know, I don't want to be an idiot to my friends around me. I don't want them to think I'm such a druch old, whatever you want to call it. Hey? We're, we're hip. We're happening. We're with the culture. And Paul's saying, well, actually, if you want the grace of God, the enabling power of the Spirit to mature you in His ways, we need to actually submit to His ways. 
And for us to be a church that doesn't sway from this, but to go, Lord, this is difficult. This is difficult. But you say by the power of your spirit, you will enable us to do this. No one is saying this is easy. No one is saying that to follow the ways of the Lord are easy. And if there are any older guys who've been tuning you about you sleeping with your girlfriend, I can promise you they went through the very same struggles. They're not standing on some high and mighty space of just, this is what it ought to be. They went through the same struggles. But what we are trying to do is to learn and for us to walk more and more in the ways of the Lord, that we may see His Spirit and His blessing more and more upon us. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, says Paul to Timothy, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away into myths that teach us everything that we want to hear. And if there's any other time in the all of creation, it is now, where people accumulate for them, teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. I don't want to be that. I want to hear what the Lord has to teach me. People have the be- they may have the best intentions of teaching you stuff that is contrary to the word, but it will end in death. It is only the words of life that come from Christ, and we need to do that together as a community. And so what he says here is, tell the older men. And so now he starts getting into it. Tell the older men. What does he first say? Tell the older men to be temperate. And so other translations would say sober or sober-minded or vigilant. Older men ought to, be, ought to have learned through their lives how to control their appetites, right? As we walk more and more with the Lord, we realize overdoing this thing has not proven fruitful in our lives. Let's do a little bit less of it and find a little bit more balance. And so as we walk, I'm just careful as I say older men not to cast my eyes on anyone in particular. Feel whichever category you feel like the Lord is placing you in. You're more than welcome to. But as he is saying, older men, be temperate, they need to be able to demonstrate restraint. That's the idea. As we grow older, we learn how to be more and more restrained. He says they ought to be serious, or grave, or dignified, or reverent, or worthy of respect, or venerable, or honorable. All of those words work there. What it means is that younger men look up to older men because they're not running off after the desires that so easily entangle them. They've learned to restrain themselves. There's a, there's a calmness about them, which the younger folk look up to. That there's, there's something of that that they want. They, don't, they no longer act the older men like teenagers, just doing whatever comes first into sight they grab, right? They ought to learn, as time goes on, to be respectful and respectable. Not boring, that's different, but to actually be someone that kids can actually look up to. He says they need to be prudent, which means safe in mind. How beautiful is that? Safe in mind. Their mind is a safe space. Sound in mind or self-controlled. Able to think clearly about spiritual things. And that's why we go to the older men, right? 
because we want to learn from them this wisdom of self-control that they've learned. We need some of it. Like Paul says, right? There are the things I know I ought not to be doing, but I do. And the things I ought to be doing, I don't do. All of us have that internal struggle. We know because the Spirit's working inside of us. But what he's saying is, tell the older men to actually live out that thing. They've learned how to be self-controlled, so tell them to do it. Tell them to live out all that they've learned through their lives. The ability to give Christ-like counsel because their minds and their thoughts are safe. So when we come to the older guys and ask them for counsel, they're not just shooting off the next thing that they're their little hobby horse, but they're going, no, no, I've walked with the Lord for a while. And gently and calmly, I know you've got your struggles, but this is what the Word says. Let me help you and coach you in these things. He says they ought to be sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. And trans, one of the translations calls it cheerful endurance, which is very different, right? And what we learn, or what the older guys would be able to tell you, is that the longer that they've walked with the Lord, they've recognized how trustworthy He truly is. For us young whippersnappers, we trust the Lord for something and it works out or it doesn't work out and we're still trying to figure this thing out. But what the people who've walked with the Lord for a long time will tell you is that the Lord has never let them down. And so they end up with a cheerful endurance. This is really difficult. I really don't need this at this age of my life. But I do trust that the Lord is good. He will come through. He will prove himself true and just and kind as he always has. And so the older men are to be sound in faith, in that trust and that confidence in God, to be sound in love. The older we get, we should be growing in love, yes? That's the whole chief purpose of this entire thing, to grow in love for God and to grow in love for others. And to be sound in endurance. Paul's encouragement to the church in Ephesus echoes this beautifully. He says, We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. That's what we're trying to build here. A community who builds up one another in love. And so older men need to be demonstrating this work that the Spirit has done in them. And it's not an exact science, right? It's not a perfect science. The Lord is constantly at work, even in the older men. And I just want to say that for this community, I'm incredibly grateful for the older men in this community. God has been incredibly, incredibly kind to us. There is still much that we get to learn from them, and there is still much for them to contribute. Michael Eaton says, Although the older man might be weaker in body, he is to be strong in his endurance of the tough side of life. When we have lived a few years as a Christian, we should be tougher than we were when we were younger. Not tougher in physical strength, but tougher in staying firm amidst the adversities of life. And so as our bodies get weaker, in some sense, it's um, John the Baptist, right? I must decrease. Our bodies get to decrease so that our spirit man, the part that is maturing and growing, growing into Christ-likeness, gets stronger. 
We no longer depend upon our flexibility and our strength. We depend upon the kindness of God who has proven himself true time and time and time and time and time and time again. And we ought to, as we grow older, grow in our faith. He then moves on and says, Tell the older woman to be reverent in behavior. And that kind of phraseology actually means dressed in holiness. Tell the older woman to be dressed in holiness. And the idea behind that, uh, it's, it's to be reverent in behavior, so dressed in holiness, and not to be slanderers or malicious gossipers. Um, and it's important that they link those two together because the reverence in behavior means dressed in holiness. And the word used for slanderer is diabolos. Anyone know what that means? Yes, that's correct. The devil. It's used 38 other times in the New Testament for a direct translation to the devil. So what he's saying is, older woman, as you mature in the Lord, be dressed in holiness. Don't be the devil. Don't be devilish. And what he's talking about is slandering. So they're translated to slander, which ties back to the beginning bit where Paul's telling Titus that division, throw people out. What does slander do? It divides. That's the only, the only purpose for slander is to divide. It brings nothing else into the conversation. It brings no life. It brings nothing positive other than got something to say. And we're very clever. We're even able to bring it into prayer, right? You know, I just want to pray for the sister who's struggling with this, this, and you won't believe it, and she's struggling with this. But I think we should pray for her. All you really wanted to do was actually just bring across the news. And so what he's saying is that be dressed in holiness, don't be the devil. And of course this applies further than just the older woman. But Paul is doubling down on the fact that slander and, and our tongues are able to allow the devil into this community. It's big. I was like, say, oh, slander, gossip, and then you look at the translation, it's like, whoa. It's huge. It's the same thing that Satan did to Eve, right? Did God really say? Are you sure God really said? What's he doing? Bringing division between God and woman. Then bringing division between man and woman. Bringing division then further on between brother and brother. Bringing division between nation and nation, color and color, generation and generation. That's all that slander does. That's all the devil wants to do. Let's bring division into this community. And Paul's saying to Titus, make sure that the older women are not the starting point of the slander. Why he pins it out on them, I do not know, but there it is. Let's hear what he has to say. He then says, do not be slaves to drink. And I think all of us can understand that in the Western Cape that is a lot harder than in Natal where they don't have good wines. But do not be slaves to drink. He doesn't try and force a rule of do not drink wine. He's just like, don't let the stuff control you. Let's just keep everything in moderation. He says to the old woman, teach what is good so that you may encourage the young woman. Older woman, you have a job to do in this church. You are not just waiting for the Lord to return. You have something to bring to this community. You have a way to be able to teach what is good and how to encourage the younger woman. As with men, older women have a key part to play in this congregation. I've had a few conversations where the older folk feel like, ah, I don't know why I'm here. 
I really don't. You young guys, it's your turn. We're passing on the baton. I don't see that in the scripture. There's no batons. You run until the Lord returns. It takes you home. And my prayer is that this church would be that. A church where the older generation doesn't feel out. Doesn't feel like they have to sit at the back and let the young whippersnappers do their thing. But that we would be a community where the gray hairs bring wisdom. Help to coach and to train the younger woman. And what it means to be a woman. We're fighting a culture war that wants to eradicate women from anything worthwhile. The church surely should be the bastion that holds the true meaning of what a woman is and what a man is and our contribution to society. And Paul's saying if we skip the scriptures and we start trying to structure our lives and our framework around what the world's teaching us, the first thing that's going to fall apart is family. And he's not wrong. And so he writes an entire letter to say, make sure you do not stray from this. Older men, find your place. Older women, find your place. You've got something to bring and to contribute to this community. And what must you teach them? Older women, what must you teach them? Teach them to love their husbands. I don't know why that's in there because it's so easy to love your husbands. I don't know why that's written in there. Clearly, that's going to be hard work. And so he says, teach them how to do it. Either men are going to be incredibly difficult to live with, or he's saying that the reconciling work of Christ needs to reach even into our marriages, which I think is what he's trying to say. Teach them to love their husbands. Some husbands around you are like Michiel, lovely to love, right? Easy to love. Some of us, not so much. And so the older ladies have to teach our wives how to love their husbands. But what he's writing here is to say that family is so key to the gospel message that we need to make sure we're not straying away from it. And that those who've walked this road and learned that it's difficult to live with husbands, but they've learned how the gospel can change and transform, get to pass that on to younger generations. May this church be like that. We don't have to keep learning mistakes that our parents have learned. Let's learn from them. Avoid a lot of pain and suffering. There will be pain and suffering that we must endure, but I think there's a whole bunch we could skip if we actually just listened to our older generation. And everything about our culture says that the older generation has nothing to give to us, right? What do they know about AR? Well, they know about stuff that's actually going to have eternal consequence. So let's maybe try to learn that. And wants to drive a wedge. The culture wants to drive a wedge between generations. And we need to learn how to hear again the generation that went before us. They speak a different language. It's okay. We need to hear through the language to hear the truth. And we have to work hard at that. That's why I'm saying, older ladies, teach the younger ladies how to do this stuff. How to love their husbands and also how to love their children. These children sitting here are not a mistake. We want them to grow up loving the Lord from an early age, being filled with the Spirit and contributing to this community. Not waiting to go through all the junk that we had to go through and I have to do a whole process of unlearning a whole bunch of stuff and then getting on to serve the Lord. Let's just get them to serve the Lord from young. And they're going to do that by sitting here amongst us. 
Not sitting trying to hear the preacher. Oh, this kid's making such a noise. I'm going to take them out. No. Let's try and listen through the noise. This is as important for them to hear. And you may think your kids don't understand this stuff. I tell you, the Lord will plant one word inside of their heads, and they'll probably take away from you more than we do if we try to overcomplicate this thing. But we want our kids part of this community. And so even moving forward, it means we've got to figure out how to more make them a part of this community, how they can benefit from our times together as a collective. We're not shoving them in a separate room. We want them to be a part of our faith and to learn that they are important to us and to the gospel. And of course, none of us have got this perfect, right? Any parents here absolutely perfect? Rich, good man. I like the self-confidence. May the Lord not teach you otherwise this week. <laughs> but none of us have this down pat, right? But you still get to teach. And maybe your lesson to the next generation is how you got everything wrong. It's super helpful. It really is helpful. But older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands, how to love their children. And the challenges we face are, number one, convincing the older women that they actually have something to offer. You have something to offer. I'm careful who I'm looking at. Older women, you have something to offer. Our second challenge is convincing the younger woman that they have something to learn from the older woman. You have something to learn from the older woman. But the third challenge we have, which I've already mentioned, is trying to communicate through that generational gap. It's a real thing, but not insurmountable. We can learn the truths if we will just be patient and spend time to learn. I was chatting to Marie yesterday, and just a beautiful, she's started crocheting, well, bought the, bought the implements for it, but her gran has crocheted for many moons, and it's a tool for her to connect and to spend time with gran, to learn the things that she's already forgotten. But that's what God's wanting from us. To figure out how to spend time, because that's how we get this right. It takes time. But our generation is just super busy. We just don't have the time. So I'll pencil you in for 15 minutes. You're not going to learn anything from anyone in 15 minutes. I can promise you that. But to actually find repetitive, regular time. I'm so grateful for my Wednesday mornings with Philip, who in one sentence in a reply to something I've said, says weeks worth of work that I could have gone through. And I'm like, oh, he's basically saying in the very kindest way, I'm an idiot. <laughs> From his experience. But we have so much to learn. And what Paul's saying to Titus is make sure that the older women do not take all their knowledge and accumulated wisdom to heaven with them. Share it with the generation that is around you. He tells them to be self-controlled. It's the same thing, safe in mind, um, sound mind, self-controlled or sensible, able to think clearly about spiritual things. As we enter retirement, whatever that means, putting on new tires, retirement for the next leg, it means growing in the things of the Lord, not slowly landing until the Lord comes in. It's growing and maturing, going for it. To be pure. An attribute certainly applicable to all, but definitely exemplified or embodied in women, right? Purity. When you think of purity, 
I don't think of Ian. You know, it's like, he's lovely, and the Lord is at work in him. But when you see a woman, there's a purity, there's an element and attributes of God that is embodied in woman. And he's saying, as you get older, that purity needs to be coming out more and more as you grow in intimacy with the Lord. He says, good managers of the household. Or another translation says, keeper at home. A keeper at home. Not confined to the kitchen. I didn't see that in there. So it's not talking about women being confined to the kitchen, although some women can cook really well. Yes, they can. But they're not confined to the kitchen. But to bring their spiritual gifts to bear upon the household. As homemakers. And it says each one is given a gift. So it's not like, oh, I wish I could manage my house like Monique. It's like, no, no, the Lord has given you a gift which you need to bring to bear upon your household, whatever that gift is. For Marie, it's now going to be crocheting. Lovely. But it's an element that she can use to connect and to reach out and to share the gospel. Your contribution, woman, is not limited to baby making, though it's incredibly important for the ongoing population. It's very important. And God's desire is for godly offspring. It's what he wants. Our time on this planet is for people to be born and to follow him, to learn to love him and to learn to walk in his ways. But what God is calling for, I think, through Paul to Titus, is more well-rounded family units. Women also not pursuing career at the cost of family. I think he's calling for balance. He's not saying don't pursue careers. He's just saying make sure the family doesn't fall apart in the process. And so I think he's on the money here in saying that in order for the gospel to actually take effect in a general population, God's design is family. And it's for older generations and younger generations to learn from one another and to grow together to see a family unit that is an impact into the community, not a leech that just sucks the life out of everyone, but to actually contribute and give as the Lord is filling them by His Spirit. He says, be kind, be submissive to your husbands, so that the word of God may not be discredited. This ties back to saying you proclaim God, but your lives of fruitfulness show nothing compared to what you're proclaiming, is what he's saying. He's saying, let the way that husbands relate to wives and wives relate to husbands promote the word of God, not take away from it. The world is hungry for happy family life. Do you know that? Happy family life is very rare in the world today. Families are broken, even within the church. And what Paul's trying to push through Titus here is that actually when we submit our family life and the way that we live our families under God's control, we get to have lives that, families that have life in them. And the world is hungry for that. And as they see your life, it becomes a proclamation of the gospel. How is it that your family is so together. Your husband's crazy, but how is it that your family is so together? And it gets to highlight that the gospel's at work in us. People get to come into your family and hear the gospel, which they may not hear from a pulpit. And your family gets to be your pulpit, gets to be your church, your area of proclamation of the gospel. If you want the word of God promoted through you, your life, this church, older woman, You need to encourage the younger woman. That's your job. 
at least till the end of the year. Encourage the younger women in these ways. He moves on to younger men. And what I love is that he says, older men and a whole list of things. Older women and a whole list of things. He gets to younger men and says, be self-controlled. In all things. There's one command for younger men. Just flip and control your appetites. And it's good. Because I would much rather rein in a wild stallion than try to kick a dead donkey. Right? The Lord has put that energy and desire in young men for a reason. He's got stuff for them to do. And they bring life to our gathering. And they need to just be reined as and directed as to where that passion and that zeal ought to go. And so Paul's saying, not tell them to get lost or tell them to stop it. He's just tell them to rein it in. Take that passion and zeal and put it in the right direction. And who's going to help them do that? The older men. The older men are given to us to help the younger men to reign in their passions and to put them in the right line. And so a guy's desire for a girl is a good thing. But when it's not reigned, it's going to go in a very wrong direction, right? And so when the older men say, hey, about this relationship, can I bring some wisdom? And we're like, no, thank you. We'd like to be the wild stallion rather. It's going to end in pain. Where God's saying, guys, I've given you older men. Let them help you to tell you it's not worth it. Let them help you to put that passion in the right space and place and that when you do meet your wife, it's going to be a beautiful thing that brings life. One thing, young men, be self-controlled in all things. For if we had been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified, young men, with him, so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is free from sin. But if we've died with Christ, young men, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, young men, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members, young men, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but now under grace. It's the empowering work of Jesus to get us to walk in a life free from sin. Show yourselves, says Titus, Paul to Titus, show yourself a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, gravity, sound speech that cannot be censured. Then any opponent will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. So Paul helps us to paint a picture of what this family of liberty ought to look like. And while it's talking about biological offspring, we extrapolate that right into this family. And so older men can teach younger men, even if you're not in the same bloodline. There is something and a blessing that the Lord brings to this community that you may have had a rubbish upbringing, but the Lord brings a spiritual father or mother 
to be able to bring redemption and reconciliation into your life. And my prayer, as Gregan was saying, in some ways this preaches just a declaration over us that God would continue to form us into that community. He's doing it. I'm hearing of conversations where younger guys are spending time with older guys, young ladies are spending time with older women. And so this is happening. But I want to declare it over us that it would grow and continue to grow in us as a community. That we would be humble, firstly, to be able to say, actually, I think I have something to bring. That is humility. But then also to have the humility to go, that guy has probably got something to teach me. I know I want to get on with my own stuff, but I need to bring this thing. I need to rein this thing in. And God can do it supernaturally, but he gives you this body to bring unity and to help you to rein in your affections and your passions that the Lord would direct them into the right way and the right place. But it takes a humility. So I want to say for the younger guys, if, you don't, if you're not walking a road with somebody, and it doesn't mean you have to do it every single week or every single day, but that you would find an older person here and just say, listen, this is one area of my life I would love just to start with that you would begin to speak into. Don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know how that's going to start, but it's a journey. For some of us, we've never done that. And it's quite intimidating when you do it. You mean I'm going to actually have to open up my life? Yes, but in due time. In due time, one step at a time. As you grow in confidence, as you grow in uh, transparency with the person. It's not just from day one. I want to know everything. You're going to grow in relationship. And I want to ask that we would be a community where the older folk are finding younger folk and saying, hey, I'd love to speak into this area. Or the younger folk in humility are going, actually, I need some help here. Would you please speak into it? Can we commit to that? It's not going to be easy, I can promise you. But it's going to oh, be so worth it. It's going to be so worth it. And just before we think we're going to do this in our own effort, Paul ends off chapter 2 and he says, how's this all going to happen? He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. Meaning our salvation wasn't started by us, wasn't affected by us, God brought it. But what does this grace do? Grace is not mercy. So you know we often say, I've given that person grace. You haven't, you've given them mercy. You haven't held them to account for what they deserve. What grace does is it trains us to renounce impiety or ungodliness. It's God's enabling that trains us to say no to worldly passions and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. That's what grace does. It enables us to live the godly life that we can't do by ourselves while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus. The motivation is that we're waiting for this Jesus to return to wipe all of this away clean and to make this thing all better. He it is who gave himself up for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purity for him, and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. Grace, good deeds. They're not separated. When the grace of God, the enabling power of Christ comes into our lives, it enables us to do something. We don't take that doing and go, Jesus, look how amazing I am. We go, thank you for your grace that you enabled me to do this thing, to become like Christ. And I believe that Christ will sufficiently pour out his grace upon us as we seek out this counsel from the older generation. I believe he will pour out his grace as we seek out the younger generation to contribute and give to them what we've spent the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years learning in the Lord. I believe that the grace of God has appeared already in this community. 
It's not like we're saying, Lord, out of nowhere would you make this happen. It is happening. But I'm asking that God would increase it. That we would see more younger men seeking older men. More younger ladies seeking older ladies. And I believe that God will reconcile families in this church. As we align our lives and redirect our energies into the things described in these scriptures. Submitting ourselves to the word of God. Saying, God, if, if you've written this and you promised this, then I'm asking you to empower this by your spirit. And then trusting him for that. Can I ask us that this week we just take Titus 2, read through it, and why don't you pray it to God? If you're an older woman, pray that those things would be true of you. If you were an older man, you would pray those things would be true of you. If you're a younger woman, you would pray that those things would become true and implemented into your life. If you're a younger man, younger man Lord, please help me with self-control. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so that's our homework, and I'm trusting that God, by His Spirit this week, would begin to grow in us this grace that as our family units begin to grow, we begin to see this church grow into an effective ministry into the world around us. Amen? Amen. We're not being reduced to Sunday meetings, people. We're not. We're taking this gospel into our families and letting that impact the world around us. So Heavenly Father, as we go from this place, we ask that by the grace of Jesus Christ, who died for us, who overcame sin, and is purifying for himself a people who are zealous for good works, would that be said of liberty, Lord? Would we be a people whom you are purifying, that we would face the sins that are currently in our lives, that we would find someone to go to and say, I'm struggling with this, would you help me? Lord, that we would not allow impurity to cause us to walk in darkness and to miss your presence but that we would know that you are fully aware of the struggles and the challenges that we have. And it is grace that frees us from it, not our own efforts, but it is your empowering by the Spirit that caused you to walk in perfect obedience to the Father. That same Spirit will help us to walk in purity before Him. And so would you pour out a fresh outpouring of your Spirit into our lives? Not that we may see hocus-pocus magic, but that you may reconcile families in this church. Lord, that you would reconcile relationships between the younger generation and the older generation. That you would empower the older generation to have something to contribute and to bring to this church. That you would cause humility within the younger generation to seek out the older generation to learn to learn to love our families, to learn to love one another, and to walk in self-control. There are many commands as we look through Titus, Lord. But ultimately, we want to grow in intimacy with you. We want to grow in purity. And we want this church to grow in unity. And so we commit ourselves to your word. We commit ourselves to your spirit. And ask you to do what you alone can do by your grace. To make this come to be. We love you, and we commit this week and our families into your precious hands. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.